0: go ahead and start with first Peter, chapter one, verse six through seven. Amen when you get there. First Peter, chapter 1, six through seven. Amen when we're there? Amen. Very good. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far, excuse me, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I claim protection over this family, over this individual today. Father, I thank you for working through people to get that message to us. Not only do I thank you for that, I thank you for giving them the courage to do that as well. So many times, Father, you ask us to do things and either we lack the courage or we lack the obedience. God, in this situation, this individual had both. I praise you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for people that will be submissive to you. God, I ask that this church and your church continues to be submissive to you. I ask that our country becomes submissive to you and continues down that road, Father. This country was built because of you. It was built in your image. It was built with freedom. God, I just ask that if we have certain leaders that are not following through with that at this time, God, I ask that you soften their hearts. Soften their hearts, soften their minds, get them on the right track, Father, because I do know this, you can do that. I pray for that constantly, and help us as a church to lead by example to show them what it's supposed to be like. Father, you've shown me that. We complain, we complain, we complain, but what are we doing? We need to be leading by example. We are your church. We are your children. Father, if there is someone out there in leadership that needs to be going down this path and being on the right path for you, Father, which they all need to, I ask that we set that example for you, Father. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. God, I want to thank you for the word today. I thank you for the opportunity to be a small part of your church and to be able to stand up here and and speak to your people. God, I just ask that everyone in this room opens their minds, opens their hearts, and accepts your word today, Father. In this moment, I ask that you anoint me from the top of my head and to the bottom of my feet. God, just take all pride and selfishness, anger, God, sadness, I just ask that you take it away and you replace it with nothing but you, God. Nothing but good, because that is you. God, give me strength. Give me your boldness. I claim these things in your name, Father. Help us to love, help us to laugh, help us to forgive. Amen. All right. Last week, we discussed... We, we were continuing our series last week on Warrior Conversations. And for those of y'all, I know we've got some, some visitors here today. Warrior Conversation was a series that we started where we were talking about a lot of things that a lot of different churches may not want to talk about, those really hard conversations. And last week, it was sexual lust. Well, after the sermon was over, <laughs> I had a lot of people that were coming up to me, and they were like, man, that's, that was good. You know, thank you for preaching on that. I really appreciate that you that you preach on those hard conversations and so forth and, and so on. Number one, I want you all to know, by the way, that's not me because I don't like to preach on those things. Okay, that's God telling me to, and I'm just going to be obedient to what he tells me to do. And it's really hard sometimes, but, but we're going to do it. But at the end, everybody was praising me. Like, oh, that was good, that was good, that was good. And, and then one of my elders came up to me. And it was Kirby. And Kirby came up to me, and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I thought, Lord, have mercy. Okay. So he, I thought he just wanted to talk to me there, and then he starts walking back here, okay? Like, that's the office, right? Like, that, that's where the principal is. Like, when you're in trouble, that's where you go. So, so, we're walking back there, and of course, the whole time in my head, I'm thinking, what did I say in the sermon that made him mad? Like, what did I say that wasn't right? What did, what did I do wrong? And, and we get back there, and we sit down, and he said, that was a great sermon. And I said, thank you, Kirby. He said, but... And he did point out something to me, and this is what I love about my elders, Randy, Don, Kirby, and, and, and mentors of mine as well. Chris is one of, I mean, these men will come to me when they see something that maybe I should have expressed a little more, something along those lines in a sermon, and, and bring it out. And I, I want you all to know, y- your pastor, whether you believe it or not, is humble enough to do that, okay? Because number one, I know by far I'm not the smartest person in the world, and, and I'm still a rookie at this, right? So Kirby comes to me, and he says, all right, Mikey, he says, here's the deal. Great sermon, but when you talked about how four generations can be affected by a man's sins from the Old Testament now, and we all know that we live under new law, right? We're not under the Old Testament law. We're under grace law, but however, when I pointed that out, I didn't point out that This is something that can be changed. Don't think that you're stuck on this, right? Don't think if you're sinning this way that four generations behind you are going to have this problem, okay? I did not point that out very well, okay? I said something at the end, but Kirby was like, yeah, but some people might have left that way. Kirby, thank you. Highly appreciate my elders. So here's the thing. So today we're going to preach about where a lot of people failed in that category of sexual sin. We're going to preach today, and the title is Failure is Not Final. Okay, so basically what we're doing is we preached a lot of truth last week, and we're going to follow it up with a little bit more grace. We're going to call this part two of the sexual lust sermon, okay? So one of the things that I struggle with a lot of times is I give, believe it or not, I, I think I give too much grace sometimes. I really do. And when there's a sermon where I have to preach truth, that's not easy for me. It's a lot easier for me to preach this sermon than it was last week's sermon, okay? So if y'all ever come across me, this is not just, by the way, for the elders. If there's ever something that I ever say in a sermon, go to the elders and let them know. If there's something that I may have missed or didn't really point out as well as what you think I should have, go to the elders and let them know. They'll come to me. Trust me. And that's, that's how this process works. And I want y'all to know again that I'm learning sometimes just like you guys are learning, okay? When I preach these sermons and when I study them, sometimes... It's maybe the third time I've studied these categories. So please understand I'm growing just like you guys are growing, and I don't mind saying that. Amen? Okay, very good. All right, enough of that. Enough said. Failure is not final. Satan wants you to think this. He wants you to think that the failure that you've had in your life, that is final. He wants to get you down and make you have the thought process that no matter what it is you do, you cannot make up for the sin or the mistake or the failure that you made over here in your past. And that mindset will take you away and take you off the path of what God has planned for you in your life, right? I want to go to Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Do not rejoice against me, O my enemy, for though I fall, I will rise again. When I sit in darkness... The Lord himself will be my light. So here's the thing, guys. Again, Satan wants you to think he's got you knocked down. He wants to keep you there. He doesn't want you to get back up. I think I said this last week. The Christian walk and the Christian fight is not about how hard you get hit and how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get back up. This is what this verse is talking about. He's basically taunting the enemy. Don't rejoice just because I fell down. I will rise again. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Understood? We're going to continue. I need you guys to hear this clearly. I want you to listen. This is so important. I need everybody to pay attention to this. In fact, I'm going to give you five seconds to whatever might be on your mind right now. You clear it. Whatever might be in your hands, you drop it. I'm going to give you five seconds to listen. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. You may have made a mistake, but you're not a mistake. Grab that and hold it. Understood? If you get nothing else from this sermon today, you take that and you run with it. You're not a mistake. God is perfect. God made you. In his image, by the way, you are perfect. No matter the mistakes that you may make, God made you. You are perfect. Those mistakes that you make, you have the opportunity to take those mistakes and make perfection out of them. You follow me? We're going to get into more of that here in just a second. Last week, I talked about the failures of Samson. uh, But here's the thing. The men that I talked about, like Samson, Solomon, King David, those men that made a lot of mistakes in that sexual sin that we talked about, lusting and so forth. The thing about all three of those men, though, they didn't accept those failures. That was not final to them. This is where me and Kirby discussed. I should have maybe elaborated a little more so I get to do that today you got to think, guys. I mean, Samson, at the end, after they gouged his eyes out and so forth, and some of you may not know the whole story about Samson, so go look it up if not. But anyway, this was a strong man so forth. got, Got into lust. It took his mind off of what he was supposed to be doing. So at the end, the Philistines gouged his eyes out, cut his hair, so forth, and they tie him up to the temple. But in that moment, he asked God. He humbled himself. God, I know I made a mistake, but give me the strength to finish your job. And he tears down the temple with the strength that he had. Wiped out the Philistines. Of course, then you take King David. King David made a lot of mistakes, right? A lot. They're all recorded. There's a bunch of them in there. But here's the thing about King David. Every time he made a mistake, he was still called a man after God's heart. And because of that, his family tree led all the way to Jesus Christ. All the way to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Go read it. It'll take you from David all the way down to Jesus Christ. Even though he made all those mistakes, he is still known for that family tree. Solomon, King David's son, we talked about him last week as well. Yes, he made a lot of mistakes, but by the time it was over with, Biblical scholars called him the wisest man in the Bible. Matter of fact, I think the Bible actually, forgive me if I'm wrong there, but I think the Bible actually called him the wisest man. I know at that time, but I don't know about the wisest man ever in the Bible. Obviously, I would say Jesus was probably wiser. But anyway, Solomon, extremely wise man, very victorious, and he wrote the book of Proverbs that we know today. So again, these three men might have had a lot of failures, but it wasn't the final decision for them. These men, what these men did was take ownership of their failures. They learned from their failures. They gained knowledge from their failures. That way, the next time those opportunities presented themselves, they took the knowledge that they gained and turned it into wisdom. Wisdom leads to winning. I want you to think about that no matter what it is that you do in life, if you have wisdom in a certain area there's a really good chance you're gonna win. And if you don't, I guarantee you you grab something that you might have lost and you will win next time. Wisdom equals winning. Failure is only final if you accept it. But failure is not final if you humble yourself and gain knowledge in the process of the failure. I want to explain myself biblically. This is actually in the Word, James chapter 1 verse 5. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him, and he will gladly tell you, for he is always ready to give bountiful, a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. He will not resent it. Ask God, go to God, that's humbling yourself, and then he'll give you the wisdom As it says there, a bountiful supply of wisdom. Humble yourself, he'll give you the wisdom. That's what this verse says. So in defeat and in failure, instead of woe is me, instead of getting in a corner and crying about it, go to God. Humble yourself. God, I know I made a mistake. Show me where I messed up. Give me the wisdom from this knowledge that I gained to make sure that next time, it's a win and not a loss. That's it. Who in here watches golf? Show of hands. Well, I know Chris Myatt does. There's not a lot of y'all watch golf. Shame on y'all. My boy Ray, my boy Ray Angle watches golf. We grew up. I, I used to play a lot of golf with Ray back there. Well, a lot of you guys, if for, for number one, you, you should watch it today. It's the U.S. Open. Okay, it's the final round of the U.S. Open. In 1968, a man by the name of Bob Golby won the Masters Golf Tournament. Okay, for those of y'all that don't watch golf, I can't believe that, there are four majors. The Masters is the major that's in April. It is the major among majors, okay? It's in Augusta, Georgia. The greatest golfer of all time, Bobby Jones, built that golf course, okay? And that's where the Masters is played every year. If you win the Masters, there's one tournament that if you want to win more than anything as a golfer, you want to win the Masters. Okay, that's what it is. It's the Super Bowl of golf. Do you understand that now? Put it in football terms, you understand it. Okay, a bunch of, bunch of jocks in here. That's how that works. The thing that a lot of people don't know about that golf tournament in 1968, Bob Golby wins it, right? But there was another gentleman by the name of Roberto DiVincio. He was a pro golfer from Argentina. This man at the time was the reigning British Open champion from 1967 going into 1968. Matter of fact, he beat, uh, y'all know this name, he beat Jack Nicklaus. Show of hands, who knows Jack Nicklaus? Not enough hands. <laughs> Google him, he's the greatest golfer to ever play. I know I just said Bobby Jones was, but he was of his time. Really, it was Jack Nicklaus. I'm going to quit. Okay, just I'll continue on. Two of the greatest golfers of all time. Okay, so anyway, what a lot of people don't know about that golf tournament was this. Roberto actually won the golf tournament until he got to the clubhouse. Roberto had put down in one area, or actually he didn't. What happens when you play golf, you swap scorecards with who you're playing against. They keep your score, you keep their score. At the end, you come together, you make sure that the scores match up, and you sign it. Roberto, for some reason, didn't look over it as well as he should have. And the guy that he was playing with, which, by the way, was Raymond Floyd. Some of y'all don't know that name, but I know the old men do. (laughs) Raymond Floyd did not put down. He put down that Roberto had made a par instead of a birdie on a hole. Roberto signs it. He gets disqualified. Actually won the golf tournament. That's how this Golby guy won. Incorrect scorecard, that's right. Now, here's the thing. That's a major, major failure, okay? Roberto obviously was devastated uh, for a few days. But here's the cool thing about that man. I, I wanted to check and see what happened to him after that. In May of 1968, the very next golf tournament that that man played in was the Houston Open. He won the Houston Open, and he signed the correct scorecard. Not only did he win, he won by a lot of strokes. This man, not only from there, but you continue on. In 1970, he was awarded the Bobby Jones Award. Y'all heard me talk about Bobby Jones earlier, okay? The first greatest golfer to ever play which is the highest honor from the, Uni- from the United States Golf Association, this is a recognition of a distinguished sportsman. In 1989, Roberto was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. This is a man who made a major failure, a major mistake. Beat himself up over it for a few days. And I got to thinking, how did he bounce back so fast? How did he do that? You know, I tell you guys, we preached on this a while back. As a Christian, you got to have a short term memory, right? You got to forget the sins and go right past it every single time, as much as possible. Tomorrow's a new day, next hour is a new hour, the next minute is a new minute, right? We have to have a short term memory. I thought, okay, either this guy is an exceptional golfer that just has a great mindset and can forget everything, but how do you forget giving up the masters, right? So I thought, surely, surely this man was a Christian. He had to have God on his side to get through that. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you from this pulpit. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I looked it up. I looked all over the place. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. But I'm going to bet, if I was a betting man, which I learned from the Dallas Cowboys, to not be a betting man. (laughs) I'm not hating on them. I love them. I'm just saying. I love them all, but Jerry Jones, that's the only one. So if if I was a betting man, I would bet that Roberto was a Christian. Here's how I'll say that. Number one, he bounces back quickly, right? Not only that, but he got the Sportsman Award. Guys, that award is given out once a year to the person on tour that everybody loves. That is honest, faithful, and everybody loves to play with the guy. And not only that, it's also given to the person that most of the time does different things outside of the course to help organizations and children and churches and so forth, right? The other thing about this man, the last story that I'll tell you on him and then I'm going to get to my point, after winning the Houston Open, you know, I told y'all he won it, the very next golf tournament in 1986, there was a woman that came up to him at the end of the tournament. He's walking off with his money, basically, right? He's leaving, and this woman stops him in the parking lot, and she starts to tell him that his, her daughter was dying of cancer. And that her daughter was really struggling, and, and, and she, was, she was a young girl. I think, I think she told her 13, so she was just barely a teenager. And they were struggling with money. Roberto gave her the entire paycheck. The entire paycheck. Now, you would think that just that alone would make you think that he was a Christian, right? That was another failure. Right after he gave the money... A man walks up to him and says, that woman just scammed you. She came to me for the same thing, and I found out she was scamming people. This is how I know he was a Christian. His next comment was, so you're telling me that the girl is not dying of cancer? He said, no. And he said, that's the best news I have heard all day. Amen? Guys, this is a man who gave up the great uh, from a failure, probably the greatest failure known in golf, okay? But look how he bounced back. Failure is not final. There's a lot of people that will remember him because of the mistake that he made in the 1968 Masters. But if you continue to read about him, I won't think about that anymore. I'll think about the last story I told you. Failure is not final if you're a child of God. Amen? When you go to God in prayer, do you guilt yourself with your sins and your failures? Do you beg and say, please, God, forgive me? Forgive me for my sins. Father, I'm sorry. Do you put yourself in depression because you think that you've lost the relationship with God? I want you to really think about that. There's a lot of people that do that. Do you think that your failures took you away from him? Do you think he's done with you? Do you lose sleep at night because of the sins that you've committed, because of the failures that you have? I don't mind saying this. I have. Failures that I've made, decisions that I've made, Things that I've done wrong, mistakes and failures that I've had. I've been depressed. I've lost sleep. I don't know why we do that except for one reason. There's another power out there that's trying to take you over. And that's Satan and it's not God. When you feel like that, that is condemnation. definition of condemnation. Oh, it's gone. Dustin, you let me down, man. You let me down. He's pointing at this screen, but I like this screen. Like, I like this one. Okay. Uh, oh, never mind. Look, you got it going. That's my, that's my oh, oh, was pointing at Nick. <laughs> you wasn't pointing up there. <laughs> it's Father's Day. We got a bunch of visitors here, and both of y'all are making me look bad. Okay, both of y'all, but I love you. I'll show mercy. I can't even think of a good comeback. Bojo, <laughs> give me something, Bo. Give me a good, no, no, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, like at 3 o'clock today. I'll text all of you in one massive group text. James 1 five. if you know, or excuse me, if you want to know. No, that's not the right one. Condemnation. Condemnation. <laughs> the definition of condemnation Is your pastor getting mad at the servers around here? It's the act of declaring one guilty and dooming him to punishment. I'm dooming y'all to punishment. That is what condemnation is, okay? That's not God. That is not God. In fact, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, can you please put it up there? Thank you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen, right? I get choked up every time I read that verse, because what he's trying to tell you guys right there is it doesn't matter the failures that you have. That doesn't matter. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. None. All those things you've done wrong, all the mistakes that you've made, it doesn't matter to him. Just keep going back to him, guys. Keep going back. If you sit there and you wallow in all that failure, you're allowing Satan to overtake not only your mind and your heart, but your spirit. Don't allow him to do it. This is proof to you guys. That no matter what you do, no matter what you do, if you go back, he's there. Amen? There was a pastor that told this story. Some of y'all may have heard this. He was in college, and... um, he was real good friends with this, with this uh, group of people. Anyway, there was this girl that was a part of this group. She had just come in. It was a, it was the friends that he had. It was like a Bible study that he had. Okay, but this one girl, she really struggled with sexual lust that we talked about last week. Um, she had been sleeping around with a lot of different men and so forth. Well, she came into this group. She wanted to change her life. She got saved, and this man decided, okay, well we're going to really concentrate on her. He talks to some of the guys, we're going to concentrate on her, make sure that we, we help her through this process and everything. Well, there was a, a like a revival of sorts that came to town. Well, he thought, well, this is perfect. I'll take her to this revival. So he and these other guys, they, they take her to this revival. All of these friends go, and as they're sitting there, the pastor comes up to preach, or the evangelist, excuse me, comes up to preach, and he has this rose. And he starts talking about how just beating up everybody that had had sex out of marriage and just, I mean, just all the young people that had done it, all of the adulterers, all of the lusters, all the homosexuals. He was beating them up. I mean, just beating them up. And he grabs this rose and he throws it out in the crowd and he said, everybody look at this rose. And the rose is getting passed around everywhere and so forth. And he preaches this sermon just beating them up basically condemning him. and at the end of it he says who's got my rose the guy held it up and he brought it up there to him and this rose was beat up petals torn off it looked awful right and he holds up the rose and he says who would want this rose and that pastor that was sitting next to that girl who he knew she was heartbroken And he was so mad at himself, he didn't do it. And he learned a lesson in this process. He said he'd never do this again, but he wanted so bad to get up and scream, Jesus wants that rose. It doesn't matter what your rose looks like, guys. Those things don't matter. Keep going back to him. He will purify your rose. Every single time. Do not let a church a pastor, an evangelist, a family member, a friend, don't let anybody bring you down like that. Ever. Ever. Do y'all understand me? I don't care if you didn't tip somebody or if you have had multiple affairs. Right? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are a beautiful rose to Jesus Christ. Keep going back. When it matters is when you don't go back. Make sure you're going back. You know, you could do a lot of things wrong to a lot of people, your pastor included. And we may forgive you for a lot of things, but there are even probably some things that it would be very hard for me to forgive you for. But your Father in heaven, it doesn't matter. That is a love that will never be explained on this earth. Do you understand? Agape love, heavenly love, that's what he provides. When nobody else will take you back, he always will. In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching at the temple and a mob of people bring him a woman who has been caught committing adultery. A lot of y'all know this story. Jesus says to them, ye that has not casted, or excuse me, ye that has not sinned, cast the first stone. Okay. Jesus, in that moment, and I've got a whole sermon about that, but I'm not going to go into it. But Jesus, in that moment, if, if you remember the story, is, is drawing in the dirt, being very patient. And then again, he looks at him and he says, hey, guys, listen, if you hadn't sinned, go ahead, throw one. That's fine. And if you can picture it in your mind, obviously everybody dropped their stones and they left. I want you to see what Jesus had to say about this. John chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Go ahead, Nick. She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Everything I just talked about, Jesus says right here in that short sentence. See, it took me a long time to get that whole story out. Jesus is telling you right here, regardless if you're an adulterer, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. In other words, he didn't just say, I condemn you, I don't condemn you. He didn't just say that. He said, go and sin no more. In other words, guys, you're going to sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. But you keep coming back, and you keep coming back, and you keep coming back. If you don't, that's a whole path you don't want to go down. Do y'all understand the point there? I guess somebody nodding their heads. I got five people in here to agree with me. That's great. Thank you. I got one thumbs up. Thank you. Failure was not final for this lady. John chapter 11. God showed me this the other day, and it blew my mind. John chapter 11 is the story about Lazarus. Most of y'all, again, know this story. Lazarus was the man that Jesus raised from the dead, okay? His sisters, Lazarus' sisters, were Mary and Martha. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very good friends of Jesus, followers of Jesus. In fact, it it says in there that they had sent word to him days ahead of time that Lazarus was not doing well and was going to probably die, and they needed Jesus to show up. Jesus didn't show up until four days after Lazarus was in the tomb. Now, here's what I need you to understand. They walked with Jesus. Mary and Martha walked with Jesus. They saw miracle after miracle, after healing after healing, after casting out demons. Everything that Jesus did, you know good and well they saw it. I mean, it's quite, that, is, that is like his best friends, right? It was like family to him. You know they saw some of this. So you know when Lazarus was dying, those two women, Mary and Martha, were doing the same thing that myself, and I know most of y'all would do. You're standing over your loved one. You are putting hands on them. You're anointing with oil. You're claiming healing. You're God, heal them. You're standing in agreement with your other brother and sister. You do it. You fight. You fight like the Word tells you to fight in those situations. And they fought, and they fought, and they fought. And Lazarus died, and they felt like failures. And then Jesus showed up. Failure was no longer final. Jesus raises the man from the dead. I just, I put myself in those shoes of somebody that was there. There were a lot of Jewish people there that day. That's what it says in the word. I would love to just have been a set of eyes that got to watch that. But what I would be watching wasn't even so much watching Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead I'd be watching those two sisters. I'd like to see their expression on their face to realize that they were no longer failures, that they were winners. And it's because Jesus showed up. The darkest moment you have, the hardest situation you may be going through, they asked Jesus to come, he showed up, and they're no longer failures. So in those moments that you are struggling, like Mary and Martha was, if you noticed again, they reached out to him and begged him to come. Reach out to him, and here's the great part, you don't have to beg him, you just got to ask him to come. Ball game. That's wisdom guys, wisdom is winning. I'm going to end this with the most, or excuse me, with one of history's most recorded failures of men which is Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter. I love this man. He reminds me a lot of Bojo. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter uh, denied Jesus so many, but there's so many things that Peter did wrong. A lot of failures. Number one, like the first time that he really met Jesus casting the nets uh, the, it, to fishing, so forth. Jesus came up to him, and said he cast it on this side of the boat. Peter looked at him like he was crazy. He's like, man, I've been fishing all night you don't know what you're talking about, you know, you're not a fisherman, I'm a fisherman, and and it's not going to work, but but he did it, and it almost dumped the boat over, right, like most of us know that story. Uh, he lost faith when walking on water, okay? Peter was the man that got out of the boat, started walking on water, and for some reason, and I don't get this, he's walking on water, and then all of a sudden, he lost faith. How do you lose faith when you're actually doing it? Like, I don't understand God tells me all the time, give him some mercy. But, but I, I kind of struggle with Peter in that situation. But anyway, he does that. He almost drowned. Jesus, but here's the cool part. He was failing. He was falling. He was going under. And all he did was say, Jesus. Jesus grabs him and pulls him out of the water. Amen? Another failure. I didn't even think about that. That's another failure that wasn't final. He, st- <laughs> he started the pride discussion between the disciples of who was the best. That was Peter that started that. Who's the best disciple? I'm the best disciple. No, I'm more humble than you are. I'm the best disciple. I mean, I can see this argument going round and round, right? He's the one that started the argument. He argued with Jesus when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. How are you going to tell the Son of God not to do something? But he did. And that might sound good. That might sound like, well, you know, he was trying to be humble and so forth. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if Jesus came to me right now and said he wanted to pick my nose. I'd let him pick my nose. There's a reason he wants to do it, right? Like, you don't question the Son of God. You just allow it. Amen? That's all I'm going to think about now. <laughs> he let anger prevail when he cut off a soldier's ear the night that they came to get Jesus. And, of course, he denied Jesus three times. Three times. When Jesus was arrested and was to die on the cross, not once, not twice, but three times, he denied that he knew Jesus Christ. That, to me, is about as large a failure that you could have. He feared for his life, and he ran. Go to Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The angel appeared at the tomb for the women when Jesus was raised from the dead and says to the women, But go, tell his disciples and Peter. I have no doubt that Jesus told those angels to tell those women that and to make sure that he emphasized and Peter. No matter the mistakes that that man made, it didn't matter. God knew his heart. He knew also that Peter would come back. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is Jesus speaking. Now I say to you, this is to Peter. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. You think you failed him? You think you failed him? Peter denied him three times. Made all these other mistakes. Jesus still made it a point to make sure that those ladies knew you go get the disciples and Peter. And then not only that, he built the rock on this man, built the church on this man with all those failures. You see, God's trying to tell you the same thing. It doesn't matter all the things that you've done in your past all the mistakes that you've made, but if you come back, you're like a solid rock and I'll build something on that foundation. He'll trust you. When nobody else will, God will trust you. I've done this before but I want to do it again today. Some of y'all have been here and y'all been through this. I want everybody in here to bow their heads, close their eyes. I want you right now in this moment, I want you to really concentrate on those failures. I want you to think about all the mistakes you've made in the past. All the things that hurt. Like right now, what's going through your mind? I mean, the thing that will bring you to tears. All of those mistakes. Now, here's what I want you to do I want you to take the worst one. I want you to take the one that you can't get out of your head right now, the one that does keep you up at night, the one that does give you anxiety and depression, the one that hurt everybody that you love around you. All those failures, that one right there, I want you to think on that mistake right now. I had a pastor tell me one time, I asked him, I said, Pastor, how much does God love me? And he said, Micah, God loves you more than anyone in this world can love you in a lifetime. I thought that was a great quote. But I took it even further. I disagreed with him. Now that I've lived my life to where I am today, I have no doubt that God loves me in that moment that you're thinking of right now more than everyone in this world can love you in a lifetime. In your worst moment, in the biggest moment of failure in your life, that moment that's stuck in your head right now, God loved you in that moment more than can ever be described. Now here's what I want you to do. Again, that thought that's in your mind. This is what Jesus is telling you today. Go tell my disciples and Micah and Mikey and Don and Kirby and Bojo that I've risen. And I'm here for you. You can open your eyes. When he said, go tell my disciples and Peter, insert your name, guys. Every time that you have a failure, every single time that you fail, and it's eating you up and you're losing sleep at night, just think about Jesus calling out to you. Even though that's Peter in the Bible, he looks at you the exact same way. Amen?